a Lifetime original podcast. We don't usually get to start our episodes on such a happy note, but today, we do. It's 2004, and Nedra, Nettie for short, Nance, is pregnant with her first child. And she's so excited to be a new mom. Yeah, and she's doing everything she can to prepare. She's living with her mom in Connecticut at the time in a not-so-great neighborhood. And like most mothers, she wants the best for her baby. She's young. She's only 17 years old. So Nettie qualifies for state services, and she's eager to get them. Prenatal care is huge for an expecting mother. Nettie's mom promises to help her gather the documents she needs to apply for the services, but she never gets around to it. So Nettie digs through some files and grabs her birth certificate before heading to the state office to claim her benefits. When she hands her documents over to the state clerk, something is off. The clerk passes back her birth certificate and tells her she can't accept it. As far as Nettie knows, she's done everything right. She has all the documents they need, and she's not about to leave without her benefits. So she demands to see a supervisor. And when she does, she's hit with a startling reality. The supervisor tells Nettie that she can't find her birth certificate in their records anywhere. And if she insists on using it to get state benefits, she could be arrested for assuming a false identity. There must be some mistake. They have to be wrong about this. Because if this isn't her birth certificate, then who the hell is she? I'm Quinlan Posner. And I'm Carrie Ipema. And this is Crime of a Lifetime. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Nettie comes home with tons of questions. She tells her mom, Anne, what happened, that she was treated like a liar, like a criminal, and they threatened to arrest her. And when she's recounting her story to her mom, her mom gets this weird look on her face. Instead of joining Nettie's outrage, she just says to her, you should have let me handle it, which is a bizarre response to a really bizarre afternoon. Is it possible that Anne knows something that Nettie doesn't? Yeah, none of this is sitting well with Nettie. She definitely feels like something is afoot. The birth certificate that her mom gave her, it must be fake. There's no getting around that. But why? Several days after this whole debacle, Nettie does finally get some answers. Nettie's mom calls her one morning and tells her that she wants to talk when she gets home from work. And I feel Nettie's heart, like, her heart rate must increase because it's that feeling of, like, you're about to get broken up with or something when somebody's like, let's talk, (laughs) but not now, but later. It's not good when people want an appointment to talk. Yeah, but I don't think her mom's going to break up with her. (laughs) Who knows? It's it's been weird so far. Do you think her mom is upset that she went through her stuff to find her own birth certificate? Do you think Could be. Could be. I mean, I have a question. Do you still – do you have your birth certificate on you? 
No, my mom would never give me my birth certificate. <laughs> I don't either. I'm 33 years old and I don't have my own birth certificate. So Nettie, I feel ya. Um, so when her mom gets home that night, Nettie can tell that there's something serious going on and sits at Nettie's bed and she starts crying almost immediately. And Nettie's never seen her mom cry. That's just not the kind of mom that she is, unlike Quinn, who cries all the time, right? Drop of a hat. <laughs> Drop of a hat. And Nettie asks her mom, why are you crying? What's going on? And through her tears, Nettie's mom, Ann Petway, confesses she is not Nettie's biological mother. Nettie was abandoned as a baby. Nettie, of course, rattles off question after question after question. She wants to know what happened, who her real mom is, and why Anne never told the police. But her mom just repeats the same response over and over and over again. She says, she left you and never came back. Nettie isn't sure why, but that is also not sitting right. She just doesn't totally buy it. She believes that she's not Anne's biological daughter, but she's not sure why she doesn't really believe that she was abandoned. She just gets this feeling that her mom is still hiding things from her. So that night, she drops it. But over the next several years, Nettie's inner voice keeps telling her that there's something more to this story. She would even go as far as to talk to her relatives about her birth story. And what she finds is that some of them are suspicious, too. Right, because as they tell it, there's no doubt Anne was pregnant in 1987, and then she had Nettie, but none of them were at the hospital when that happened. One day, she just came home, she wasn't pregnant anymore, and she had a baby, which I don't know why that's suspicious. That is how it works, folks. You do, uh, you're pregnant, you go to the hospital, and then the thing is, you're not pregnant anymore. So I'm yeah, not but- sure, but they have, they feel like it felt off to them too, is all I'll say. Well, she left without anyone she knows. If you're giving birth, chances are you might have a friend, a close confidant, how maybe even a parent with you. Um, and what's peculiar about this is Nettie does have a brother, right? And she remembers her mom giving birth to him. So she knows that her mom can have a kid. So it's just not sitting right with her, right? There's a lot of questions. And Nettie grew up in a pretty normal household. I mean, why would her mom lie like this? So Nettie needs to dig deeper. She goes to a social worker at the Department of Children and Families in Connecticut and asks, can I use my DNA to find a match with my biological parents? But the social worker is like, no, not possible. I know why you would think it is. It's something that happens on TV a lot, but that's not really how this works. You can't just send your DNA into 23andMe because those haven't been invented yet. Well, it's just not accessible, right? So for a time, Nettie has to just live without any answers to these many questions she has. And in 2005, she becomes a mom. And as her daughter turns one and then two, Nettie is deep into taking care of her daughter. But in the back of her mind, she's still wondering who she is and who her real parents are. In 2007, Nettie moves from Connecticut to Atlanta, Georgia, where her aunt Cassandra lives. And Cassandra's always been her favorite aunt. She calls her her bestie. And Anne, all the while, is being a grandma to her granddaughter, right? She's sending gifts to Nettie's daughter, but that inner voice is still nagging at Nettie, right? So she confides in her aunt Cassandra, her bestie, and she tells her about her suspicions and what her mom told her. And Cassandra actually encourages her to keep looking for her birth parents, 
So that's exactly what Nettie does. Over the next three years, Nettie would spend her nights reading stories about missing children in Connecticut from 1987. That's also how I spend a lot of my nights, but I'm, you know, a true crime podcaster. So (laughs) the reason Nettie's doing it is that she thinks she actually might be one of them. The thing is, you can't just like Google your own name and be like, abducted? (laughs) Missing? (laughs) Like, she has to look at pictures in the hopes that she'll see herself, essentially, and recognize herself as a baby. As you know, she's kind of coming up without any answers from this endeavor. So she does what anyone, any sane person would do in this situation. She reaches out to the Oprah Winfrey show. Because surely, if anyone's going to help solve this, it's Oprah Winfrey. But unfortunately, she does not hear back, and she doesn't find a missing baby picture that matches her own. It isn't until December of 2010 that Nettie discovers the website for the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Now, they have a whole database tracking missing kids from all over the United States, not just Connecticut. And so she's like, this is great. There's going to be a bunch more possibilities. What if I wasn't even born in Connecticut? I could have come from anywhere. I'm wrong about my name. I'm wrong about my birth certificate. What else could I be wrong about? So she pours over this database for days. She's looking at photos, locations, birthdays, ages, and eventually one picture does stand out. And not because it looks like her, but because when she sees it, it reminds her of her daughter. It's so handy she has that, where it's like, you don't have to remember what you looked like as a baby. You can just (laughs) Because you don't remember what you look like as a baby. (laughs) And yeah, but that's great that she happens to have a baby at the time. On December 22nd, she calls the center's hotline and tells them she thinks she's one of these missing kids on their list. Her aunt Cassandra helps her through this process because Nettie is really frustrated and confused, probably very emotional. She's not sure she knows anything about herself. She even tells the hotline she's no longer sure if she's even African-American. It isn't until her Aunt Cassandra points out the birthmark on her right arm that the hotline uses that to find a match. There are two kids that she could potentially be. But when Nettie sees that one of the pictures is the one that matches her daughter, she's almost certain it's her. And her real name is Carlina White. I cannot imagine going through this where one thing after another sort of knocks you off your feet and out of your current reality. And also, it just makes me have this feeling where when I feel really scared or unsteady, one of the first things I do is call my mom just to like, yeah, you know, she calms me down and like, totally. she's a really good person to talk to. And I really feel for Nettie who has I don't want to say she's lost her mom in this process, but she certainly can't really call her because she doesn't feel like her mom's being honest with her. She's totally. on this quest without her. Totally. I think that's why her aunt, her bestie, becomes such like a a point of solace, right? Is like her aunt, her family member is like encouraging her to keep looking. And I'm so glad she did, right? Which also makes me wonder like what their relationship was. Was it like a sister rivalry between her aunt and her mom? That's yeah, like a it whole is really nother. interesting that she's like, oh yeah, you might want to look into that. I'm like, yeah. really? And 
And it's so interesting because even growing up, Nettie was referred to as little Anne, right? Like she kept talking about how much she's like her mom. And then when she starts sort of like investigating further, they like actually don't look alike. And so it's like such an interesting thing of like what you're told and what you believe. And I can imagine when she's told by her mom that, you know, she was just given to her by some woman that has to start like a major existential crisis. And she's pregnant at the time. So it's like, I can't imagine the hormones, the thoughts, like starting a new family, becoming a mom yourself. That would be so tough. Oh, absolutely. It makes perfect sense that at this time in her life, it's her origin story feels more important than ever before. Did you feel like when you were pregnant, you became more inquisitive about you, about your birth? Um, yeah, absolutely. And it also made me, it changed my relationship with my mom, I would say too. Mm -hmm. Like, I think when you have kids of your own, you are suddenly put in this place where your parents become these human beings that went through the same crazy struggle that you did. And you see them as, um, more human, more vulnerable. Um, and you feel in my case, closer to them. That's why I think this must be so hard because in her case, it brought her further. Right. And just to clarify, you felt closer to your mom, but she still doesn't feel comfortable giving you your birth certificate. Oh, we're miles away from that. (laughs) (laughs) Shortly after January 6, 2011, Nettie gets a knock at her door from a member of the NYPD's missing persons department. They're there to collect a DNA sample for comparison. Now, they've already collected DNA from one of the two sets of parents that might be a match with her. But Nettie is almost certain already that she knows who her parents are now. Joy White and Carl Tyson. And she's too excited to wait for these results. Instead, she gets Joy's number and just calls her. So she calls Joy and someone picks up. And Nettie just hears all of these voices. It's loud, it's lively, it's celebratory. And Joy realizes who is on the other end of the call and immediately puts Nettie on speakerphone with all of her aunts and her family members. And the excitement is palpable. They all tell Nettie that she needs to come home. Nettie is obviously touched. This is the moment she's been waiting for. And while there's no DNA confirmation, it all feels so right. It all feels so right. Yeah, it feels early to me in the sense that like I'm just a little I'm nervous. Like I'm like, you guys don't count your chickens. And I'm sort of surprised the legality was such that she was allowed to have that number before the DNA confirmed it. Totally. But I but I promise you, like Joy, her mom, I mean, this has been what, 23 years? It's like and Joy's on that same page as Nettie. Totally. She saw a picture of Nettie in her email a few weeks earlier and she screamed and cried when she saw it. And now she here she is, she's talking to what she truly believes. This is my daughter, and I might actually get to see her. It's like, it's like caution be damned. This could be my kid, and I'm going to take that joy, pun intended, when I can find it. So Nettie says that when she's speaking with Joy, it's just easy, that she feels like she's talking to her mom. They click immediately. So Nettie asks Joy for her dad's phone number so that she can call him too. And while Joy and Carl are no longer together, she does give her his phone number. But when she does, the connection isn't immediate the way it is with Joy. Carl, he still feels skeptical, maybe a little protective of his heart. And 
he's not sure what to say. Uh, Nettie says it's just a bit more awkward when they speak because he treats her like a stranger. He's a little more uh, trepidatious about this. But I mean, also, they are strangers, right? Like, at this point, there's no scientific sort of proof that they are mother, father, and daughter. The DNA results have yet to come back. And Carl has to have his guard up, I guess. It would be devastating to him to form a relationship with her and then to find out that she isn't his daughter. Right. I think it's a hesitance we can all, I think we can understand Joy's and Nettie's response. And I think we can understand Carl's response too. Yeah, definitely. I mean, regardless, over the next two weeks, Nettie and Joy and Carl, they all talk on the phone regularly. And Nettie even does start referring to them as mom and dad. This is becoming very real. And to seal the deal, Joy buys Nettie and Nettie's daughter a flight from Atlanta to New York to finally meet in person and reunite this broken family. On January 15th, Nettie and her daughter land in New York City, and Carl is actually supposed to be there to meet them to pay for a rental car for Nettie to use. But Carl's not there. He had a last-minute conflict, and since Nettie's under 25, she can't rent a car. Uh, You know, she can join the army and fight for her country, but... And drink, but she can't rent a car. She cannot rent a car. So Nettie starts this trip off, you know, feeling a, a little uneasy. Things are not going totally as planned. Um, But luckily, Joy and her sister swoop in, save the day. They meet Nettie at the airport, and they hail a cab to head over to Joy's apartment. Immediately, they see the resemblance. Nettie looks just like her mom, and she has her dad's eyes. And Joy understandably breaks down into tears of, you know, well, Joy, for lack of a better word. And when they get home, the whole family is there waiting for them. Her aunts, her cousins, her grandma, even a brother and sister that she never knew she had. Joy cooks a feast of curry chicken, mac and cheese, lasagna, oxtail. It sounds delicious. And for the first time ever, this family is together and they're eating with one another. It's amazing. It feels perfect. Yes, it's made for TV. We all want to be there. I can smell that lasagna. I don't want to be on TV. I want to be there. Well, Carl's not there is the truth. Right. Carl uh, Nettie is not has there. not met her dad yet. He and Joy um actually they split up pretty soon after Nettie went missing. And he has a whole other family that Nettie hasn't met. This whole thing just has to be so overwhelming like meeting your mom, meeting your siblings and they grew up with the parents that you didn't. I don't know, it's a lot, but I'm sure it's also very heartwarming. Carl does end up coming to Joy's apartment the next day to pick Nettie up. And the moment he sees her, that skepticism is out the window. He just bursts into tears. And Nettie tries to calm him down, but he he just can't stop staring at her. He can't believe this is real. This moment was really touching to me because I think it felt like the parallel to giving birth. Okay, stay with me. It's like, it's like Nettie, it's like, It's like Joy knew right away that Nettie was her daughter, sight unseen, just like, you know, a mother baking a baby like a mother would. And it takes Carl seeing her to feel that connection similar to what it would be in childbirth. I just thought that was like an interesting parallel. Yeah, no, I And he also, he happened to arrive with ice chips also. Oh, 
you know, that's it was what the a weird does. thing, but that's what the husband does. Their reunion feels a little rocky, you know? I mean, she doesn't warm to Carl like she did to Joy right away. There's just something different about it, right? Maybe it's he's a bit hesitant. Maybe um, it was him missing her at the airport with the rental car that got them off to a rocky start. So Carl tries to make it right and get Nettie that rental car he promised. But again, Nettie is too young and he's not totally willing to rent it in his name and let her drive it. Which makes sense, you know, insurance. Yeah, I think that like this is like maybe not even as complicated as we're making it necessarily. Totally. In my head, I'm like, this is very gendered to me. And I right. think an adult woman meeting another adult man and having to be like, you're my daddy and like hug you, th- and that would be jarring in a different way than what a mom feels like. I think it's also worth noting that Nettie's, quote, father, the person who she was raised believing to be her dad, was not present in her life. I think it was said that she saw him like a handful of times. So she has no successful model to like draw upon with this. Exactly. She doesn't know what a father-daughter relationship even looks like. And so, totally. you know, she's like, what do you want to go do with me, Carl? And he's like, oh, I don't care. Whatever you want to go do. Such um, a dad response. What do you want to do? What do you yeah. want to do? Yeah. So um, they end up weirdly going to the hair salon. And Carl just sits there while she gets her hair done. And she's kind of like, this is weird. There's like this dude with me while I'm getting my hair done. It makes her feel uneasy. And she tells that to Carl. And he's like, I'm not just some man, you know. I'm your dad. Like, I just want to be with you. It doesn't matter what we do. And keep in mind, this is like a whirlwind for Nettie, right? She like lands in New York. She sees her mom, her mom's whole family. She eats this amazing meal. She meets her dad. Like, this has to be overwhelming and so confusing. And she also tells Carl, the papers haven't come back yet. In other words, maybe you're my dad. Maybe you're not. We still don't know for sure. I mean, there's a lot of complex feelings that Nettie is dealing with. Yeah. And those feelings, they're only going to get more complicated from all sides. After a few days in New York, Nettie's getting homesick for Atlanta. This has all been pretty overwhelming. Not to mention, she does have a job and her daughter to think about. And it's been great getting to meet more family. But whether Joy and Carl like it or not, she also has a family. Anne, her mom, and her aunt Cassandra, and her brother. So Nettie gets a ride to the airport for her trip back, and she gets through security, and she's sitting at the gate waiting. And I imagine she's probably just thinking about her time in New York and maybe when she might come back, if they do prove to be her parents after all. And while she's waiting aboard the plane, a man approaches her. (gasps) He knows her name. I know it's very scary, right? (laughs) Could you imagine? At an airport, nonetheless? Yeah, be careful approaching women, men. He knows her name, even though she's like, I've never met this guy before. But he tells her, call a detective at the NYPD. The DNA test has come back. And it is a match. Joy and Carl are her biological parents. Why this is how she found out, I do not know. It seems like a very bizarre protocol. And I don't know which airport she was flying out of. And LaGuardia has gotten a recent makeover. But I'm telling you, at this time, LaGuardia was depressing. Was she eating an Auntie Anne's pretzel when she found out? I don't know. But there is a catch. Nettie is not just some missing child. 
In fact, she was kidnapped all those years ago, and the NYPD believe that Anne Petway, the woman that raised Nettie, her mom, is the prime suspect. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ugh. Ugh. Total gut punch, right? Total Total. gut punch. It's like she knew something was up and then, but like this? Do you think she realized this was what was up? Yeah. And, you know, I was talking earlier about the loss of like, I don't feel like I can communicate with my mom about this thing and I'm and I'm scared and I'm having to do it by myself. This is like that feeling times a billion. Like the idea that not only can you not talk to your mom about this, mm-hmm. but your mom kept a way bigger secret from you than you could have ever imagined. You can't talk to her about it. And she's a criminal like she's not at Oof. all who you thought she was i can't even yeah. wrap my own head around this switch i can't imagine being netty in that situation i just imagine an iceberg and at the very tip it's like i'm not your mom and like this is the big hunk underneath the surface i mean i i will say what i admire about netty and i think what also shows her age at the time is how she dives head first into this relationship with Joy and Carl. Um, And I think, you know, we talked about her hesitance with Carl, and I really do chalk that up to sort of like who she was raised understanding her father to be. Um, But I, like, I can't even imagine how hard that must be. You know, like your mom potentially robbed you of a relationship with your real parents, robbed you of your home, robbed you of your family, and also hurt Joy and Carl. Like, to inflict that much pain on someone is just so devastating. And to to be able to square that logic, I, I don't know how you get there. I don't know no, how you because in, square that. 
in very like basic terms. And I think I think in terms of basic terms because I have very young children. So like my son who is five is very obsessed with like bad guys, bad mm-hmm. guys and good guys. And I, am I playing that I'm a good guy or am I playing that I'm a bad guy? And it's like this plot twist feels like, haha, you've been living with the bad, like the calls coming from inside the house, you're totally. living with the bad guy. Ugh. And like, and I think also to meet Joy and Carl and to know that they are just as much a victim in this as you are. And 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 it's like, listen, I'm not trying to play, you know, suffering Olympics here, but like I just Joy and Carl have known that their daughter is out there. That's that that have they've known who they are missing in their life for 23 years. Like yes. I just the pain that they that that's been living with them that's been that they've been burdened with the past 23 years like you never recover from this. The effects no. are so great. Well, and we have no idea what their relationship was like, but I would imagine that you know, you could think of something as as big as an abduction as a sort of it's going to have a butterfly effect and totally. we don't know if that marriage failed because to lose a child the kind of pressure that must have put on whatever relationship they did have at the time, and we know they broke up shortly thereafter. Well, let's actually dig into what happened in 1987. Let's go back to that day. It's August 4th, 1987. 16-year-old Joy White and her boyfriend, 22-year-old Carl Tyson, are living across town from each other in Harlem. Only 19 days earlier, Joy had given birth to their eight-pound baby, Carlina Renee White. And while this pregnancy was not planned, Carl and Joy are so happy. They have a healthy little baby girl and their whole life ahead of them. But on that day, August 4th, Carlina comes down with a fever and a serious one. Yeah, so they have to go right back to Harlem Hospital. And on their way in, a nurse is sort of directing them. And Carl just happens to notice this nurse doesn't have a name tag, which she thinks is a little weird. But all the other nurses aren't batting an eye. They're sort of acting like she's one of them. So he lets it go. So the doctor checks out Carlina and then talks to Carl and Joy and says that Carlina needs to actually stay at the hospital overnight so they can monitor her and administer an IV of antibiotics. So Carl goes to call family members to let them know what's up, what's going on. But while he's doing that, he sees Joy talking to that nurse who first talked to them in the beginning of their stay. And she's saying really weird things to Joy. Yeah, the nurse is telling Joy, oh, your baby isn't crying for herself. You're crying for the baby. In other words, like, the baby is fine. The baby's okay. Joy just needs to back off and give the baby space and let all this happen. It's all going to end up fine. I think she's trying to maybe be reassuring, but it's a very strange way of putting it. Yeah, it's a little weird. It's just, it rubs them as a little bit weird. After calling their parents, Joy decides that she wants to stay overnight at the hospital with her kid. Totally understandable. Carl actually works the night shift, so he thinks that's a really good idea. So at around 12.30 in the morning, he drives Joy home to pick up some things before he goes to bed, thinking that someone else will drive her back to the hospital so she can stay the night. 
But Joy, she never gets that ride. And she doesn't go back to the hospital that night. Yeah, we don't know why. Um, Maybe she changed her mind. Either way, the next morning at 6 a.m., Carl's phone rings and a detective is on the line. He's at Joy's apartment and he tells Carl that his daughter, Carlina, has been kidnapped from the hospital. The police are immediately called and they start investigating and they believe that the nurse without the name tag was studying the patterns of real nurses all night. Her outfit and her confidence just fooled everyone, including the nurses themselves. Nobody knew what she was up to. The hospital claims they checked on Carlina every five minutes, which means her kidnapper had a very narrow window to make her move. But at 3.40 a.m., a nurse checked on Carlina only to find an empty bed. The IV tube had been removed and Carlina was nowhere in sight. She was gone. Back at her apartment, Joy and Carl are obviously devastated. They're destroyed. And they realize now that the nurse that was saying weird things to them, what she was really trying to do was get rid of them. It's hard to overstate the impact of losing a kid like this. The effects are instantaneous and lasting. Joy ends up leaving school for a year. She starts taking anxiety medication. She goes to therapy. Anything she can do to cope. Carl is furious. He can hardly eat. He's angry at everyone. He's just, he's angry at the world. And because of this, like Carrie and I were talking about earlier, This is sort of what leads to the destruction of their relationship. And after a year of grief, it kind of just crumbles. They separate. And while separated, they are still fighting together for answers and for justice. They end up suing the city, which runs the hospital, for $100 million. And eventually, they reach a settlement. After the many fees, including lawyer fees, their total payout? is $325,000, which to me is nothing. Is nothing. No, no, of course it is. It, it is. It's, it's zilch. Um, you know, and you can't buy happiness. You can't buy peace of mind. You can't buy your daughter back. No. Uh, what they do, though, with the money to try to sort of um, keep hopeful and uh, connect it somehow to their loss, to their pain, is that they take half of their shares and they put it into a trust for Carlina. And the thought there is maybe one day we're going to see our baby again and this trust fund is going to grow. It's going to collect interest growing like she's growing. And by the time she turns 21, we'll have this treasure waiting for her and hopefully she'll come back. Jumping forward again to 2011, Nettie is waiting for her flight back to Atlanta with the knowledge that her real parents are, in fact, Joy and Carl. She is Carlina White, but she's also Nedra Nance, Anne Petway's daughter. And now Anne is a target in a decades-long kidnapping case. And yet Nettie doesn't decide to leave the airport and return to go to Joy's apartment in New York. She wants to go home. So without even calling Joy or Carl after she gets this news, she boards the plane and goes back to Atlanta. When she gets home, she speaks to Carl and Joy on the phone, and they've just gotten the news. In fact, everyone is about to be getting the news. 
This is a huge deal. This story is remarkable. A reunited family, a happy ending after 23 years? According to New York Magazine, at this point, no child in American history has been missing for this long before being reunited with their parents. It's a miracle, for lack of a better word. Yeah, so news outlets are all over this. Uh, The New York Post wants to fly Nettie out to New York and put her and her parents up in a hotel. She does agree to fly back to New York, but when she gets there, uh, media outlets of all stripes are booking rooms on the same floor as her and swarming her at every opportunity. It's like she was offered this opportunity to be flown back to New York to stay in a great hotel to tell her story, and when she gets there, it's not at all what she expected. All of these personal moments that she would have had with her biological parents are turned into photo ops. The photographers ask her to hold hands with her parents. They they ask her parents to kiss her on the cheek, for her to kiss them on the cheek. It all feels staged. It all feels forced. It all feels fake. It's like they're just trying to get the photo op, and they're not even taking into account her emotional process at this point. She hasn't had time to process this. Nettie is still trying to sort out her feelings, but it's all moving so fast and beyond her control. And eventually the news breaks about that trust fund I told you all about, the one that Carl and Joy created in her name 23 years ago. So Nettie also hears about it and asks, is it mine now? But 23 years is two years too late. Carl and Joy, who have families of their own to think about, liquidated the trust at 21. They had probably lost hope at that point. It's been 21 years. We're not going to be reunited with our daughter. And now that money, it's gone. But to be clear, that's not what makes Nettie upset. What's upsetting her is that the press starts asking her questions about the woman who raised her as her mother, this woman, Anne. Nettie knows that Anne had been good to her and her daughter, so it's really hard for her, right? Her childhood wasn't perfect. No one's is. But she's also the woman she thought was her mom. And in a weird way, that sort of pits her against her biological parents because they're doing interviews and they're speaking about Anne very differently. You know, Joy's saying she wants Anne to suffer. There is a deep well of anger for the person who Joy assumes kidnapped her baby. And that's very understandable. I get it. Like, I don't need any uh, explaining on that front because I would absolutely destroy with my bare hands the person that took my child from me. Right. And I would not stop in Joy's defense to think about how my child felt about that. You know, having spent their life with this person, I would just think about what got taken. For Nettie, it's all too much. She does have this new family, but her little brother only has Anne. If Anne goes to jail, what's going to happen to her little brother? And not long after Nettie arrives in New York, she catches a plane back to Atlanta, hoping that she can find some space away from the media circus and, and also just have some time for peace of mind. She stops talking to the media, and she slowly stops taking Joy and Carl's phone calls. Nettie and her daughter move into a hotel for a while just to avoid it all. And then, wouldn't you know it, (gasps) the phone rings. Guess who it is? Who is is it? I... Oprah. God? Oprah. So, yes, God. (laughs) God, yes. 
Well, it's it's a producer from the Oprah Winfrey show. I don't think Oprah called her directly. Um, but Oprah is, of course, one of Nettie's idols. Uh, she's one of all of our idols. And she wrote that letter to Oprah three years ago about her case. And now she could actually go on the show. She could meet her. And obviously, Joy and Carl are like, yeah, we'd be interested. But ultimately, Nettie decides she can't do it. She can't go on TV because she is too afraid that it's going to become a trash talking session about Anne. She can't do that. It's too emotional. And frankly, at this point, she'd really like to just be left alone. She doesn't want any of this for herself, for her daughter, and for Anne, the woman she'd known all her life as mom. When the news first broke about Nettie and her reunion with her biological parents, the New York Post actually reached out directly to Anne Petway. I mean, she's Nettie's mom, sort of. And Anne responds. She promises to make things right. She says she's going to straighten things out. Sounds oddly familiar to how she talked about the birth certificate earlier. Let me handle it. But then Anne disappears. Yeah, she goes on the run. And now the FBI is after her for this kidnapping. But she can't run for very long. This story has gotten too big. It's national news. So it's only a matter of time before someone spots her. Yeah, I can imagine if the media is paying this much attention to Carlina or to Nettie, to Nettie or Carlina, to Carl, to Joy, of course the attention is going to be on Anne. So on January 23rd, 2011, Anne negotiates her surrender. Nettie watches FBI agents arrest her on TV. And she knows that the pressure is going to be on her to testify against Anne at trial. In the lead up to the trial, Carl and Joy go on TV shows like Today and The Early Show to talk about their relationship with their daughter and the pending case against the woman they believe kidnapped her. Meanwhile, Nettie is watching this from afar. She's watching them vent their frustration live on TV. Both of them are mad that Nettie isn't trying harder to connect with them. Joy even suggests that Nettie is upset at them for liquidating her trust. That's really rough, man. I I feel like the insinuation that this is financial when it is so much more complicated than that, that, that would probably... Well, it would piss me off. I don't know how Nettie feels well, about it. Well, I think it, but... it isolates her more, right? Yeah. It's like yeah. it puts her on the defense. Yeah. And by July of 2011, Nettie actually cuts off all contact with her biological parents. According to her lawyer, she comes out in full support of Anne Petway in her own kidnapping case. Meanwhile, Anne has been in a federal detention center for months. But while being detained, she never admits to actually kidnapping Nettie. She tells FBI agents that she suffered a miscarriage and was desperate for a child, which they took as a confession. But when Anne goes to court, she again denies any involvement in the kidnapping. She may have ended up with Nettie, but she says she didn't take her. But with all this evidence mounted against her... Anne Petway agrees to a plea bargain, and she pleads guilty to a federal kidnapping charge and agrees to accept between 10 and 12 and a half years. Missing from the sentencing hearing is Nettie. She doesn't go, but her 14-year-old brother does, Anne's son. He's paraplegic, often needing to go to the hospital, but he's here for this. 
in a statement to the court and apologizes. She says, I am here today to right my wrong and ask for forgiveness. And while Carl was pretty open that he was hoping she'd get 23 years, the number of years that he was missing his daughter, Anne is sentenced to 12. Yep, some wrongs cannot be righted. And this is one of those cases where uh, you can't fault Nettie for wanting to find out her Mm -hmm. origin story. And I really don't think that she thought for a second that this was the uh, Pandora's box that she was going to be opening up. And I'm so glad she did because now Joy and Carl have closure, right? They're able to know that their daughter is safe and they're able to get to know her. But again, robbing family, robbing relationships of time is a horrible thing. And it's to- you're totally right. It's a right that cannot be – it's a wrong that cannot be righted. Yeah, they can't get that time back. Um, and I feel like it's it's must be so complicated. The person who's sort of – from where I'm standing, the person who suffered the most – is Nettie. She had the most to gain, the most to lose, and here she is. And I cannot imagine, I feel complicated feelings about this story. To be right. trapped in the middle of it as she is, I can't imagine where she's at. And I hope she's doing better today than yeah. she was uh, in 2012 amidst all this chaos. I don't know if I agree that the person who suffers the most is Nettie. I think Nettie suffers, but I I think 23 years of suffering of losing a child, I don't know if that can be compared. I mean, I think none of it can be compared. There's there's so much loss in this story. Um, 23 years of losing a child, I, I don't know how, how you get through that. And I understand why Carl wanted 23 years. He wanted to punish her for the 23 years of prison that he felt he was in with his grief. So I get that. I mean... But I think you're right. This existential crisis that that Nettie must be feeling of who she is and who raised her and the time lost on being with her biological parents, two parents that clearly really love her, right? And I, and I do think it's worth noting that Nettie actually changed her name legally back to Carlina White. Um, but she says when she introduces herself, she she introduces herself as Nettie because Nettie is the name that she gave herself, which I'm glad she's able to take some power back in her life and understand that she has control of, of who she is. And she also has a beautiful daughter who she's raising that I'm sure helps, you know, create her family. Right. Yeah. I hope they're doing, I hope they're doing well. It's a very sad story. It's a really sad story. It should feel like more of a happy ending, and I wish it did have that, but you have to acknowledge the feelings that come along with all this. Well, if this story uh, fascinated you as much as it did Carrie and I, um, I do have some good news for you um, amidst all this sadness. There is a Lifetime movie. It's called Abducted, the Carlina White story, and it stars the incredible Kiki Palmer. You can go and check it out at mylifetime.com. Catch more gripping stories pulled straight from the headlines with all new original series and movies on Lifetime and stream on the Lifetime app or on demand. Check out mylifetime.com to find out what's airing because it just might be the case we talk about next. 
We used many sources in our research for today's episode. Among the most useful were the following. An article from New York Magazine entitled Kidnapped at Birth by Robert Kolker, reporting from the New York Times including Kidnapping of Baby Draws 12-Year Term by N.R. Kleinfield, Woman Admits to Kidnapping Baby in 1987 by Michael Wilson, and Guilty Plea in 87 Kidnapping May Bring Life Sentence by Colin Moynihan. If you'd like to learn more about this story, we highly recommend you check out these sources. Crime of a Lifetime is produced by Tanner Robbins. Our associate producers are Hazel May and us, Quinlan Posner, and Carrie Ipema. Our sound designer and editor is Hans Dale Shee. Our senior producer is John Thrasher. McKamey Lynn is our supervising producer, and Jesse Katz is our executive producer. If you like what you hear on the show, please subscribe, rate, and review Crime of a Lifetime on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Copyright 2022, A&E Television Networks, LLC. All rights reserved. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quinn's is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.